And welcome to a, another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the podcast every Monday where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host Adam Reck go through three X-Men stories, and we uh, we we tell you what we think about them, <laughs> and we take that we put it on our list from you know the top to the very very pits bottom X-Men stories of all time. Adam, how how are you doing today? I am awesome. I am ready to uh, go to the Disneyland of murder today. <laughs> that That's uh, what we're concentrating on today. We have a couple of murder world stories, and I couldn't be more excited because we're not alone today, are we, Zach? We are not alone, and you could not have said that creepier. Uh, <laughs> but, but today we have a special guest with us. You might know him from X-Men 92 or Deadpool Bad Blood or the current Marvel uh, Darkhawk series. It's Chris Sims. Chris, how are you doing today? What's up, you mojo-kissing airwave writers? <laughs> <laughs> I took a lot of notes on dialogue in these comics. Well, the thing is, they're very good. Oh, they're extremely good. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to dissect here for sure. Uh, so, Chris, for uh, for people who might not know, what makes you a very good guest expert for this episode? Uh, Arcade is quite possibly my favorite Marvel Universe villain. Maybe, maybe not my absolute favorite. I mean, you know, obviously Doctor Doom is hard to beat and is objectively the best one. But I love Arcade with a passion. Uh, I just recently wrote for Verge about how if they do a Domino movie, it should be Domino versus Arcade because that's the perfect Ooh, battle. That's a great idea. It's amazing. Like, I mean, I'm surprised they haven't done like, you know, Longshot versus Arcade. Mm. Uh, and as far as I can tell, Domino's only met Arcade once, but like, come on. <laughs> and one of the reasons I love Arcade so much is that he was the villain of the first X-Men story I ever read, which is one of the ones we're talking about today. It's uh, it's the X-Men 123 and 124 story where uh, the classic uh, all new, all different X-Men team gets trapped in Murder World uh, and almost get killed by giant pinball machines and model airplanes and and Colossus. <laughs> Colossus in his amazing Super Mario Brothers uh, by way of the Soviet Union costume. So it, it was funny. My wife, who she is not a comic book reader, she's begrudgingly watched a lot of X-Men movies and knows more than she should. Uh, but she saw what I was flipping through when I was reading stuff for this episode, and she was very confused why Mario was uh, was <laughs> Silver Mario. Yeah, Metal Mario. That's a thing. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's not always a good thing when you can tell that John Byrne's having fun. <laughs> But when Colossus walks out and he's wearing red overalls and they have a hammer and sickle and they say CCCP and they have a picture of Lennon on them. <laughs> yeah, the, the picture of Lennon, it, it really takes it over the top. Yeah. And over the top is is the watchword of, of these stories, like all three of them, honestly. Like, 
the arcade story is is my first real x-men story that i ever read uh the pizza hut x-men comics were not far behind uh, i picked up the arcade story in uh at a book fair in middle school uh, or maybe even elementary school uh in a a, a mass market paperback <laughs> and then those uh those pizza hut x-men comics are i have described them as being the rosetta stone of x-men 92 i definitely could see that while i was reading it yeah because here's here's the thing X-Men 92, a lot of people assumed because of the title that X-Men 92 was going to be a continuation of or or a tie-in to the mm-hmm. cartoon. It wasn't, obviously. If you've, if you've read it, it obviously was not. Uh, but it was trying to be like a Chad and and I and uh, Scott Koblish and Altifermancia. We really tried to make it a capture the whole feeling of the 90s X-Men, like as a whole. Uh, we, we said that they're the, you know, these are the X-Men who are on the Chef Boyardee cans. You know, these are the X-Men who are on the lunchboxes. These are the X-Men who are the action figures. And honestly, they're the X-Men that are in that Pizza Hut comic. Like, yeah. like those, those should be called X-Men 92 numbers negative four to negative one. Absolutely. So the reason that we got to this point in the first place, Zach, was because someone requested the first arc right the uncanny 123 124 they did someone namely Cade tims went on over to patreon.com slash xavier files that sounds like my fake name that sounds like a fake name i would give i mean I, is it you there's a picture here and i have seen a picture of chris on the internet and it doesn't look like that picture and it doesn't look like destro so i'm pretty sure <laughs> Does it look like Destro with a mustache, though? Because that's how I would disguise myself. <laughs> this is a good point. Apparently, he is also a patron of Clytus Media, and I did not realize that, so he is probably very excited about this episode. Oh, well, good, good. Awesome. I'm glad to glad to hear it. <laughs> that's great. So we should probably get right into this. I, mean, I, think um, we're, I think we were in it, and then we jumped out a second, and now we're going yeah. back in it. I mean, the star, the star of these issues, aside from arcade coming back is got to be the proletarian i mean it's just so bizarre and out there even for this kind of weird arc uh to be in but he he really steals the show would you agree it, it is among <laughs> the dumbest things that have ever happened in an x-men comic yeah. yeah and i say that as someone who has written his share i mean he gets brainwashed in what three panels is like that immediately and then he gets saved by the power of friendship. It's very nice. <laughs> Here's the thing that people forget about Colossus, because, you know, Byrne and Cockrum draw him to look like he's 40, is that he's supposed to be a young, like really mm-hmm. young. He's supposed to be like 16, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not super creepy that he dates Kitty Pride, although it's still a little mm-hmm. creepy. Uh, but yeah, like, he's supposed to be young. And if you really, if you really emphasize that, like he's a young, naive farm boy from, from the Soviet union, uh, then, then the Soviet Nick Fury coming and telling him to go fight the X-Men and wear this (laughs) ridiculous clown suit is, it's still pretty weird. It is. It is. I mean, the whole issue has like lots of little fun things. This is, I think one of the, 
the best iterations of murder world, you know, the pinball machine in the beginning, each person's individual traps are kind of fun and silly. Um, but the, the proletarian just kind of takes it over the top. Well, here's the, the thing about this version of murder world to me. This is the second time that arcade appears. He was in a uh, Marvel team up with Spider-Man and the first appearance of Captain Britain. Uh, and then Claremont said, this is a good idea. I want to keep doing it. And then at number two, they perfected it because every other time they go back to murder world, they try and top, you know, a pinball machine to start the whole thing off and all of these just stupid gags and they can never replicate it. They can never get it just right because it's so bizarre and so out there that you can either do the same thing again and get diminishing returns or go way too far in the other direction and just not hit as well as you should. It's perfect because it, with the exception of like Colossus getting brainwashed, one of the reasons the, the proletarian sticks out is because Colossus getting brainwashed is the mm -hmm. odd man out. Everything else is a weird little carnival yes. game. Like Cyclops gets the, the three doors to choose from uh, all of which are just a brick wall. Right. Obviously. <laughs> like obviously Wolverine gets the funhouse mirrors. Uh, Nightcrawler's in a bumper car arena um the you know banshee going up against the weird model planes is weird but you can see it because it's like yeah. a like a game uh and and even storm on the little tilting platform over the the thing like that's the kind of thing you can picture a less lethal version of at a carnival at a at a fair at like a midway style arcade and it it does it so perfectly that it is really hard to top. I mean, you're exactly right. Like, I think the the best version of this to come after this is the from the Dan Slott uh, Andre DeVito thing series, where uh, Arcade takes over an island, and mm. it's just for the thing. He he builds this entire island of death traps for one dude. That's awesome. Coney yeah. Island of death. <laughs> and then the other one, like, so you either, you either get hyper specific with it. Uh, and you basically have arcade as a meta character using different bits and pieces of an individual character's continuity. Cause one of the cool things is uh, Ben has to fight a bunch of robots that are other versions of the thing. Right. Oh, so he fights yeah. Blackbeard thing. He fights thing <laughs> whose face is all messed up. So you either do that or you do what happened in the, uh, very underrated young allies series which is where arcade was like hey guess what new york is murder world now <laughs> and it's this big weird you know heist kind of a heist kind of a scavenger hunt kind of a fast and furious movie uh style thing that i thought was pulled off really well we actually intended to do arcade in in 92 and we were going to do it in a really weird way that i think would have been super fun but we just did not have the room. Uh, and then we were going to bring him back. Uh, if, if we hadn't ended where we did the, uh, the next story after the X-Men got back from space would have been our arcade story. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to spoil that because I still have this glimmer of hope that they'll do like some one shots with you guys. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I feel like you deserve a shot to tell that story. No, no. Well, I can I can say one word for you, and maybe you can bleep it out for the listeners. Yes. Yeah, that's what we were gonna do. That is very good. I'm on board. I also love um, in 
123, Spider-Man's on the cover yeah. as guest starring in this comic. Mm-hmm. The thing he does in this comic is is make a phone call. <laughs> oh, and then he destroys the phone booth like in sheer rage. It is an insane moment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, bonkers. He also literally <laughs> hears a sound effect and says, oh, I know that sound effect from anywhere. <laughs> I remember which I, that, which I love, because if you go back to that, uh, if you go back to that uh, Marvel team up issue, it's that sound effect. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you go to future arcade stories, it's that sound effect. It is like like the uh, like the thwip, like the like the spatang. It is a distinct <laughs> Marvel universe sound effect. It is a thing right. you can recognize. Like this is this is a fun story. It's part of that weird weird chunk of X Men. From right about right before Dark Phoenix, where they didn't know what this new X Men was going to be, where you get the Leprechauns and you get these incredibly long Savage Land arcs and all this stuff, and it it was getting to a point where it gets codified into what X Men are. But you know, if this story didn't exist and they tried to do it in like 1986, I think they would have gotten shot down by editors because they said, "Oh, that's not what X Men is anymore." That's not what it's supposed to be, but it works in this weird transitional stage where, you know, Claremont has a lot of room to just do whatever he wants. I mean, you you say that, but we've all read a lot of X-Men comics from 1986, and <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a lot of telling him what not to do in those books. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so right now on our list, we have 114 stories. Uh, the top is Days of Future Past. And at the bottom is the Draco. We didn't start with the Draco, to be clear, Chris. We avoided that as long as possible. I mean, I mean, look, you're not wrong. Uh, I, I, look, the one I take issue with on there is Days of Future Past being number one. So, Chris, do you have beef? You have beef with DOFP? Look, Days of Future Past is fine. It's it, it's more than fine. It's very very good. It is a foundational Marvel Universe story. It's not as good as God Loves Man Kills. Hmm. And and Astonishing X-Men, the first arc, is very, very good. I'm looking at this being above God Loves Man Kills, and I feel like I'm having a stroke right now. <laughs> I love it. You I dare call it. that thing number three? That's a really good God Loves Man Kills joke. So I, I think where, where it came down to, uh, Days of Future Past, I think where we... I, I'm trying to remember, because that was like episode 10 of the podcast, but I think where we ended up with that is it's, it codifies the X-Men in a way that, you know, other stuff hadn't and has a bit more long-term impact and everything where God loves man kills is fantastic and a perfect standalone thing, but should remain a standalone thing. I mean, like, well, if you really want to talk about what codifies X-Men, it's dark Phoenix, right? Which isn't on the list yet. And that's going to be number one. And everyone knows it. I mean, that's fair. Like, (sighs) I just feel like there are, there are stories, I guess, that I, and I say this as an X-Men fan, you know, I, before, before I wrote X-Men, I was a a long time X-Men fan, as was anyone who was 10 years old in 1992, you know, but like, like Days of Future Past is very, very good, but I feel like, I feel like the Claremont Miller Wolverine is better, you know, like that, I, that's uh, now uh, I know this is a very extremely original idea you guys have here, but on right. our list of comic book stories, 
uh, our highest rated X-Men story that we do on War Rocket Ajax is every story ever, which is this, but for all comics, uh, is is God Loves Man Kills, which is uh, number number 39. It's between the original Silver Age Death of Superman and another great Superman story called uh, How Much Can One Man Hate, uh, which is a really good Lex Luthor story. But mm. Wolverine is above that. Like Wolverine 1 through 4, like that's so good. Like it's... Yeah. It's a shame that Frank Miller vanished in 1993 and was never heard from again. Because absolute tragedy, absolute tragedy. When when him and when him and John <laughs> Burns were sailed off the edge of the map in that that boat, right right after uh, Dark Side Galactus: The Hunger came out, and John Byrne got on that boat and sailed off. So you, you're not looking forward to the sequel to 300, uh, Chris? <laughs> I mean, who's doing it? Uh, isn't, isn't Frank Miller doing it? Am I wrong? Oh, that's weird though, because he vanished. Oh, right, right, right. I do not acknowledge right. the existence of anything. This is a bit. This is a bit. But no, I, I mean, and I can, I can tell you, Wolverine's really good. The only reason it's not higher on this list is because it's a Wolverine story, and not an X Men X Men story. Okay. Okay. All it right. got graded on a little bit of a curve. Okay, well, let's but... let's talk about that though. Let's talk about that because I like I'm not on this show every week. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment, and and I would put this one above uh, DOFP as well. There is a moment that changes comic books that I would rank higher than Days of Future Past, and it's uh to to be entirely fair, it's the first part of Dark Phoenix. Because up to that point, it's the Hellfire Club story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because up to that point, for the next for, for the past few years, since X-Men 94 comes out, uh the it's it's an ensemble book. It's mostly about Cyclops and Jean. It's they're the subject of the, the big stories. There's a little bit in there about this new team and how they don't really get along. But I mean, you go back and read Proteus and Proteus is a story where Cyclops beats the crap out of the X-Men, right? Mm-hmm. Right. He, he throws a cup of hot coffee in Wolverine's face <laughs> and then kicks his ass. So you get to 132, right? Uh, Hellfire Club shows up. They also beat the crap out of the X-Men. Who beats up? Is it Pierce? So, no, it's Shaw. Shaw beats up Colossus. Pierce uh, reveals himself <laughs> to be a Terminator. It's pretty good. Uh, and Harry Leland, the one nobody remembers because he sucks. Harry Leland drops Wolverine mm-hmm. through three floors of a building. Yep. And you're like, like reading that for the first time, if you if you're in that era, not knowing what we got for the next 30 years, if you're in that era, and this is something that we used to talk about all the time at the comic book store. So so this honestly comes from from me listening to Chad uh, Bowers, who was my co-writer on everything we've done at Marvel, uh, from our friend Scott Simmons, from our friend Matt Gossett. Uh, but you know, it's true. It, it it is backed up by the text. They drop Wolverine through three floors and you're like, okay, so Wolverine's dead. Okay, cool. How's Cyclops going to get out of this one? How's Jean going to get out of this one? You know, then you get to the end of that issue and you get the best John Byrne panel ever. Of all time. Yeah. Where Wolverine comes up and, and oh, Tommy Ors. Tom Orzakowski. Mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Okay, suckers. You've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. From that point to about 2009, Marvel Comics is Wolverine Comics. You, that was like a yeah. dissertation, man. Like like that Hellfire Club story, even with its weird racism, 
because like the the weird thing like the the shocking the visceral reaction that you have to the weird scene where uh where Wingard is uh manipulating Jean into thinking she's like in the 1700s mm-hmm. and Storm is a slave yeah. it's it's super that's some stuff that would not fly today. I don't think for good reason, for very, very good reason, but it's so viscerally shocking. And then you get the end of that panel. And then that next issue is just Wolverine killing dudes. And that's where it stops being about Cyclops and Jean. It is no longer their story. They get, they get the rest of dark Phoenix, but, but that's when, Oh, what, like what if Wolverine went to Japan? <laughs> like, what if Wolverine got married? What if Wolverine did some stuff? What if Wolverine had a secret identity who was just Wolverine with one eye? You mean the best costume and high, you know, uh, that's, that's the uh, ultimate secret identity is patch. Um, so Chris, one of the things that I think we've grappled with, and I talked about this very glancingly when I talked about Asgardian Wars, as we've ranked things on this list is we've, kind of struggled at times with the difference between our own nostalgia for some of these titles and like trying to look at the things objectively. So mm-hmm. since this particular story, 123 and 124 is something from like your childhood, how high do you think you would put it in our list? I mean, that's, that's tough. like, I really, I really do love it, but I think it's an objectively good story. Yeah, I do too. I do like, I love arcade arcades, a perfect concept for a villain. Cause he can fight anybody. And he proves that in the, like, this is the issue where he proves it. Cause he's nominally at this point, a Spider-Man mm-hmm. villain, mm-hmm. but you know, Sp- that's why Spider-Man has to show up and make that phone call to hand him off. So this kind of cements the idea of arcade as a, a Marvel universe villain in the way that Dr. Doom is a Marvel universe villain. He's Reed Richards, guy. Right. And after this story, like arcade is kind of the X-Men's guy after this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're not going to be surprised if Dr. Doom shows up to fight Captain America or if Dr. Doom pretends to be Iron Man for a couple of years <laughs> like he's, or, or if Dr. Doom and Iron Man go to the uh, Camelot and then go to the future a hundred <laughs> issues later, <laughs> like, this cements arcade as that kind of character. And there are very few characters of that kind. Like I can't think of like DC doesn't have characters like that. I mean, they kind of have justice league villains. Like, like you could maybe do dark side, mm-hmm. but I feel like dark side's not going to show up in, well, he's not like an every issue villain, you know, yeah. I mean? he's not going to, he's not going to show up randomly in the pages of Aztec, no. you no. know, to, to think of like a third tier, uh, but really good yeah. DC character like blue beetle is not gonna fight you know i would i would love to see jaime reyes fight dark side by the way heads up but like arcade you're not gonna be surprised if he's the villain of an avenger story the villain of an x-men story if he's fighting hercules you know like anybody if he could do a, you could do a ghostwriter story with arcade Ooh. there was a hellcat arcade story like a year ago when that series was yeah. going on it perfectly works and this story sets that up um this story also sets up the fact that Arcade can lose and never lose his fun, like never lose his mystique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause he's for all that it's rigged. The brilliance of Arcade is that it's a game. Mm-hmm. There's always a way out. Well, and generally Arcade, correct me if I'm wrong, does lose. I mean, he's oh, yeah, greatest, he loses in every appearance. The greatest assassin who never kills a single person. So. Uh, he kills a lot of teenagers <laughs> and the internet is very upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> There is that, but, uh, he it's implied and we get some of that in 124 Cause we get like a little bit of, 
arcade backstory where he kills his dad mm-hmm. while wearing a domino mask and like a supervillain henchman costume. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. It's implied that he has killed a lot of people, mm-hmm. just not like people who have code names and wear costumes. Right. And what it is, is he's the man with the golden gun. You know, he's Scaramanga who lures people into his death trap carnival because just killing them is too easy. <laughs> and that's so dope. That's extremely dope. It's pretty good. So looking looking at this list that we've got right now, because we have spent a half hour talking about arcade and we are only going to continue that tangent as this goes on. I mean, y'all, it's better than life death. I am not I am not getting out of here with this being on the list lower than life death. What I was gonna say is my ceiling is the Uncanny X-Men one eighty three, which is the one where Colossus and Juggernaut have a bar fight. With that bar. Oh, that one's so good, though. That's another favorite of yeah, mine. It's like one of the best ones. It's very John Romita Jr. Like at the like just becoming like the John Romita Jr. That we know it's like this and nothing can stop the juggernaut or like that's the turning point for him. And he's that guy for the next 30 years. Right. I think a, uh, a good question might be, is it better than X Factor Fall of the Mutants, which is the Simonsons in like Top Gear with the Apocalypse Takes New uh, New York story. Is this better than that? Archangels yeah. formation? You don't feel good after you read Fall of the Mutants. No, I would know, but it is an excellent, excellent story with the uh, the horsemen. And, you know, Walt is like absolutely killing it with that Archangel design. So um, what, what I what I would say is I think the I mean, Walt Simonson's Walt Simonson, his art is second to none. And I think that's his work on that is better than Burns work here. However, I think the uh, plotting and the scripting in this murder world story is probably stronger than the Fall of the Mutants one where things just kind of happen. What I'm caught up on is this uh, Cockrum Nightcrawler story, which is another just comic book creators having a lot of fun with something. Yes, I think I think it's better than that. I'd be willing to put it ahead of it, too, because this is more in continuity. Um, as Chris has argued, it it really does set up a classic Marvel Universe villain. And uh, I mean, the proletarians here, too, guys, we can't forget about the uh, the most bizarre Colossus appearance here. So I think here's, this would make a good number 11. Here's the one thing that sucks about this story. The one thing that sucks. Mm-hmm. There's only one is at the end of it when they get out of Murder World and Wolverine's like, hey, I'm going to go back in there and stab that dude in the face. <laughs> and Cyclops is like, hey, we don't have the authority to oh, arrest Arcade, oh, mister. Like, you're an you're an extra governmental <laughs> paramilitary cult, guys. I thought I had a big question mark in my head about that line, too. You know, but, it's, but that's very that ever Bronze Age comics, before? you know? Yeah. yeah. But it's very soon after that, like you said, that that would never come up again. All right. So is this our new number 11, Zach? This is. This is our new number 11, Uncanny X-Men 123-124, Murder World. Nice. He only laughs when I hurt. (laughs) (laughs) From there, we are going to stay in Murder World, but in a very different context. Oh, you're telling me, boy. Hey, hey, I've got got some good news, guys. Adam X is back. (laughs) Things have never been deadlier. <laughs> this is X-Force uh, 29 and 30, written by Fabian Nessieza. Pencils on the first issue by Matt Broom, and on the second issue by Tony Daniel. Here's what might surprise you. 
Uh, of these three stories, there are two of them that I know like the back of my hand and one I had to read today. And it was this one? It was this one. Because <laughs> uh, it's because it's post-Rob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my post-Rob knowledge of X-Force is very, very iffy. Well, in your defense, Rob's on the book for like nine issues. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Here's the um, secret about post-Rob X-Force, because I just learned this secret recently. Uh, it's actually really good. And people yeah. forget that they do, like, Nicieza does a still traditional, you know, extreme X-Force situation for a while. And then it turns into a teen hangout book for, like, 50 more issues. Yeah, uh, here, here's the thing about Rob X-Force, it rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, no, you're not alarmed. Like, the, my, my all-time favorite, like, panel, uh, this is one that, this is one that Chad and I talk about literally every day uh is that uh greg capullo panel of people just covered in guns getting ready to go fight strife and uh and saying he's gonna go fight a man-to-man and quite literally (laughs) face to face because they have the same face i I have gone on record as being a big executioners fan uh song fan so uh i absolutely love the capullo run so unfortunately we don't have either the rob or the capullo on this the art in both of these issues is super questionable very 90s trying to be you know lee leifold um but the basic plot is that shatterstar's on a date with richter um gets sucked into uh, murder world on a contract from major domo and for some reason also runs into adam x the extreme who i guess before this we'd only seen in an annual the annual that every annual that you're introduced a new character yes uh hey listen uh i'm not just dragging my my that just spikes across your face because i enjoy it <laughs> there uh, are flechettes in this lots of flechettes and uh there will be blood that will be burned so i'll tell you what i what i like looking at is uh the uh the crystalline based laser hologram images in this comic <laughs> that are very good oh there's man. a panel in the first uh issue of this comic where they forget to drop in art yes or, or they ran out of time or something. It's just, there, there's supposed to be a hologram in one panel that is very not well, it's there. Secret. It's a hologram. You look in the wrong light, it just all yeah. goes away. It's, this is the wrong light. Can we talk about how Murder World is basically like a bad laser tag yeah. arena? That, like, like this Murder World used to be a TGI for Murder World sucks. There's not much to it. Like, there's just some dudes in there. Yeah, it's populated instead of fun arcade, you know, boardwalk style games. It's populated by people from Mojo World, essentially holograms of of Mojo World people. I feel like you could do this today and it would just be like Murder World is like a real life Overwatch, you know, like like you're in an arena and there's opponents. Yeah. And and you've got to survive. Uh, all these different dudes coming at you except here it's like very clearly a warehouse with like six of the same dude and they're sucky dudes and then there's also some random children that were tied up <laughs> and it feels like matt broom drew some hostages and then Fabian was like okay who are these people oh they're the family from earlier in the story and yeah. that's their mom but she looks the same age as them it's weird yeah, Zazvid, guys it's really Zazvid. weird um you say Zazvid or Zazvid. does it matter i i always said vid like i said vid like video because yeah. i always assumed that that was what it was referring to but i have no idea 
I used to say Zazvid because it sounds cooler, but I it's like that. Like, since it's from Mojo World, it's probably that definitely Zazvid. Uh, that's why I, I assumed it was. I guess we should ask I, next time if I'm if I, last year I did a con. Uh, Chad and I were sat next to Fabian for a weekend. So there you go. If we ever do that again, I'll ask him. Hell no. So what else do we learn here? We learned that Shatterstar is married, but he's never met his wife. Yeah, they're genetically married. Which doesn't yeah. make any sense, right? Like, if it was genetics, then you'd be like, siblings? Well, they, they've been matched because they're going to create the perfect. Look, can we not get into Mojo World weird genetic <laughs> stuff? Because then we're going to get into long shot, and then we're going to be here hey, all night. he's just his own daddy. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we did a full episode on the original take on Shatterstar's origin story, and so we really don't need to revisit that right now. I would much rather talk about Adam X. The extreme? Yeah. Can we talk about Adam X's mutant power for anyone who might not be familiar with it? Yes. He can set your blood on fire. <laughs> it's and the, talk about it while he's doing it. It's the best thing that anyone has ever come up with. Well, can I tell you? He is extreme. Can I tell you the problem with Adam X in this? Um, I, I can't. I, it's it's like you're speaking a foreign language when you say there's a problem <laughs> with Adam X. I don't understand it. Adam X is this idea of this super radical 90s dude with a backwards hat and swords and can set your blood on fire and he might be a summer's brother and he definitely has like wolverine claws in his hand that just aren't shown yet and he's all of these great things but then as a real character when you have to read him kind of sucks and it's really disappointing because he's not the you know radical let's go get extreme dude that you want him to be he like he is in in our book (laughs) right Every appearance after the 90s, they've just said, yeah, let's just make him what, you know, we really want him to. Yeah, let's just make him Fred Durst if Fred Durst could set your blood on fire, obviously. (laughs) He is extremely new metal to the point where uh, his word balloons have blades on them. They have blade shadows. I was going to talk about that. I didn't remember Adam X having special balloons, but (laughs) the balloons have knives. (laughs) He's the coolest dude who has has ever existed. He has blade face tattoos. Like, he is on point. (laughs) Yeah. And he talks all weird because he's Shi'ar. Yep. Is that is that clear at this point? Like why he has the elf ears? And he they... talks about Keithry, yeah. okay. which is which at this by this point had been established. Shara and Keithry have been established as the as the Shi'ar gods. They so. were essentially trying to set him up as what Vulcan's backstory was, and it just fell apart in the fact that '90s X Men editorial kind of had some challenges. How much? Look, I like—I actually like Vulcan. Well, you're wrong, but that's fine. No, I think Deadly Genesis is hilarious. <laughs> because it's because it's Ed Brubaker, who at the time was like, you know, like that's concurrent with like yeah. Winter Soldier. He's really good. And and I used to live in the same town, ta- the same town as Steve Epting. So I would talk to him about this all the time when he would come into the comic book store where I worked. But like, God, I'm just name dropping a ton, aren't I? I'm sorry. It's okay, you're just better I'm than sorry. that. It's fine. It's fine. You can cut it all out. I talked to to Steve about this and I was like, yeah, I can't believe that Ed Brubaker is doing a story about this secret team of X-Men with this guy who has like, who can fly and shoot energy blasts out of his hands, who has a cybernetic eye and he's the third Summers brother. And it's not 1994. Nope. Yeah, that does not rank high on our list. 
like I, I I like him. I think it's hilarious. But how much better would it be if this dude was Cyclops and Havoc's awful third like instead of a third summer's brother, it was the third summer's bro. I love it. I love the idea that there's like oh. a trailer park version of like a summer's brother out there just kind of hanging out and sharpening his knives. It, it's great. <laughs> yeah. The good thing is uh Fabian has not let that go because in Secret Wars, when he came back for Age of Apocalypse, he made sure that he had Age of Apocalypse Adam X definitely be Cyclops' brother. And it was yeah. so good. Oh, he's Adam X is knife culture personified and he can set your blood on fire. <laughs> because, you know, you're bringing up knife culture. You're bringing up Adam X. Chris, do you think Adam X would be the perfect... Uh, Perfect spokesman for some sort of knife that you could also vape in. I'm going to ask you a question. This is a question we commonly ask on Ajax. Adam X, do he vape? Adam X vape. <laughs> he oh, definitely, he definitely, definitely vapes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got one of the big clunky ones. I, you know, he's an original he's, model guy. It's he's, the size he's, of got, he's got like two ohms. He's down to like two ohms <laughs> in there. I feel like even though no one can smoke in Marvel Comics, which I think is a good thing. Yes. Uh, to make that clear, I think it's a very good thing that kids are not seeing Wolverine smoking. Uh, but I think even in today's Marvel comics, you could probably get away with Adam X vaping. Yeah. Because so. no one would even notice. They'd look at him and they'd just be like, I'm pretty sure he's always had that. Right. <laughs> <sighs> so oh. this is a questionable story with some fun characters, but doesn't it, – it's got some – I like everything around the actual Murder World story. Like, I think the stuff with X-Force all being teen drama-y, that hits what I want out of the book. And I think the very extreme knife fights, you know, get what everyone else wants out of the book. But I don't think this is peak X-Force. No. Uh, can we can we talk about how uh, Shatterstar's big solution to the problem is, is to stab himself in the chest with a sword? And he's fine. He's, and he's like, yeah, I got a healing factor. What's up? Yeah. He's like, I know where my internal organs are. They're nowhere where yours are. So I'm good. Um, wow. Like that is a, that is an interesting way to conclude your story. <laughs> um, and it also points to the fact that like, we're still, we're at issue. What is it? Issue 30 here. Mm -hmm. And we're still not over Rob. Cause that's like a, that's a lifeful thing from new mutants. When he, when he puts the sword through himself to get away from the Mojo world, people who followed him into uh, 616. So, like, we're still not over that. Like, that's going to be his solution. It's going to be to stab himself through the gut. Yeah, I, I also weirdly do not like Mojo. Okay. All right. I don't understand I'm a Mojo that. fan. Not I'm a Mojo fan. I mean, I, I like Mojo world stuff. I feel like the best he's ever worked is actually being on TV. Hmm. Like yeah. when he like, like Mojo should be the villain of Legion season three. Do not get me know? started on this. I was leading an entire online conspiracy theory about how Mojo was in the first season of Legion. And it all made sense. And I had some very compelling points. And as good as that show is, I can't help but be disappointed. Yeah. Mojo should show up and be like, yeah, this show's too weird. We need to really make it more accessible. Like he should show up and retool the show. That'd and that should be what they fight against. Like, I mean, I am basically now just describing the plot of X-Men 92. I realize. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, Mojo is weird because he's a commentary on a medium that he is not in. Mm -hmm. 
which is which which is i'm not saying like every commentary on television has to be a television show every commentary on comics has to be a comic but i feel like there's something to the idea of using the medium to comment on itself like Mm -hmm. like you know we talk about squadron supreme we talk about Watchmen. like those are those are books that do that mojo is weirdly mojo is like weirdly tv focused which is a good idea but never quite comes off the way i feel like it should and also he's gross and i don't like looking at him well which i know is the point but he's gross and i don't like looking at him (laughs) well i think you're onto something something with using the medium to describe itself because you know the best mojo has like worked is in the x-men animated series where he gets to do a bunch of tv tropes and it's a lot of fun that that uh, Mojo episode is the most I've ever liked Mojo. It's and it's one of the better like smarter episodes of the show too. Mm-hmm. So and in the Absolutely. same way that like a comic like Flex Mentallo can speak better about comics because it's a comic itself, or how like Bioshock could talk about the nature of video games in this weird cerebral way, it works because you're already doing the thing. When you're yeah doing the thing and thinking about the it just you don't have the same connective tissue. Yeah. All right. So guys, how low is this comic going to go on this list? Obviously the art is extremely questionable. Uh, we, it's, it's, it's not the worst. It's, it's real. not, it's not, it's, it's, it's got it's some not. fun stuff in it. Adam X does bring a lot to the party. Certainly not Tony Daniel's best work. No, no. I, I'll, I'll say that. No. Um, We've got a couple of this era X force stories on the list right now at number 40 we have assault on gray malkin which is 19 through 24 at 53 yep. we got gambit in the externals from age of apocalypse uh i think this is probably worse than gambit in the externals oh yeah that at least i don't know i think that has a real fun first half for the what's, most part what's in uncanny 143 what's that's that one? the one where kitty pride uh spends christmas with a demon that was fun yeah, yeah. that one's better than this that one's pretty fun uh, uh, the guys are looking way too high, man. We got to go lower <laughs> yeah, for this thing. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, like a miracle a few blocks down from 34th Street isn't great, you know? Oh, Zach, he just punched you in the face. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I am a connoisseur of Christmas comics. <laughs> Zach loves that one. Watch out. <laughs> Santa Claus. Let me tell you what's what this is not as good as. That's Uncanny 159, which should also be mad higher on this list. Oh, the Dracula issue? You know it. You know I love that Dracula. I forget what our logic was, but I feel confident in our decision. Was your logic that it was the third story in a row that ends with the villain just deciding to stop fighting the X-Men because he's really into Storm? That, that is a that is it. a big part of it. That's a big part of it. Also Which the is, fact that she just shrugs off being a vampire. She's just like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> like that's not like it's never bad, right? Like it's never it's it's not bad when Magneto is like, you know, oh, you know, like like, you know, you've convinced me storm. Like, you know, I respect you. Like, you, you know, you're, you're strong. Maybe I need to like reevaluate this. And it's not bad when Dr. Doom's like, you know, basically does the same thing. It's just that it happens three times in a row. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a safe place for Claremont at that time period. Oh, but like Tom Orzakowski doing that Dracula dialogue. Those are beautiful balloons. That's beautiful lettering. I'm going to say that this is more fun than Spider-Man team up number one. Oh, I love Spider-Man team up number one. It's very bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's where Ben Riley eats chili dog. Like 
Yeah, I think yep. this is a pretty similar like comparison, right? Like yeah. the art is questionable. The story is super nineties in a not a great way. Um, well, we were just talking both about fun this. for. Yeah. Is this Deadly Genesis? Is this better or worse than Deadly Genesis? I like Deadly Genesis more. I think Deadly Genesis is fun. Yeah. And you know, Zach, that I stuck up for it when we did it on the show. So I I don't love it, but I thought that it had some quality to it. I mean, it's lower on our list for for obvious reasons, but, uh, you know, I don't think that this is better than that. Is it better than that that, uh, arc in Ultimate X-Men where Charles Xavier gets pushed down the stairs? No. (laughs) No. Stairs is better than this. Is it better than is it better than like the year that it takes to do Judgment War? Yeah, I don't even know about Judgment War. Judgment War is like a ten issue long arc in X Factor, where the X Men go to space and fight Celestials, and it's not what you want it to be, but it does have Paul Smith art. All right, this, this is better than Poptopia for sure. Oh yeah, Poptopia oh. is just aimless, weird nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we're looking in those like low nineties right there. I think the question is is whether it's better than Judgment War or not. And I, I don't know. Well, it's certainly not better than that Jim Lee Mojo story. So yeah, like I'd say it goes as our new number ninety nine. I like this better than Judgment War. Now we're gonna talk about the gold standard in comics. I was really afraid that this was gonna be the story that takes up all of our time. Uh, but <laughs> apparently may. all of the we story may still be here for all of the time. Hours. This is the X-Men's Collector Edition, Volume 1's, number 1 through 4, what you could buy. Do you know how much these cost? Uh, I believe they were complimentary. They were complimentary. Deal, wasn't it? You got the cup, you got the pizza, and you got the comic? I think you got, I think it was like a two ninety nine value. But I feel like, yeah, like you could only get it as, like, if you could not buy these individually, you did have to purchase a pizza. <laughs> these are the Pizza Hut X-Men comics. Uh, they were written by professional stand-up artist Scott Lobdell. Different art on every issue. You got, who is it? Mike Harris, Jim Craig, John Herbert, and uh, Andrew Wildman. Andrew Wildman? I don't, yeah. Wildman's probably right, but I want to believe his name is Andrew Wildman. Yeah. Hey, hey, can I ask you guys a question? You fill out this question. Yeah, go. Go. Do you think this comic is cool? Uh, yes. Maybe. Well, you're wrong. There's nothing remotely cool about what Gene Bishop and I are preparing to do, Jubilee. (laughs) Entering cyberspace, the electronic subdimension that exists within the electromagnetic field of all computers is dangerous under the best of circumstances. Why does Cyclops not think going into the Matrix is the coolest thing? (sighs) No, Cyclops literally says, what you are about to read in this comic book where we go inside a computer and fight arcade is not cool. (laughs) And that's when I, like... That's when I knew in my heart of hearts that Cyclops was always wrong. I mean, look. <laughs> he is a stickler. This is, this is a bad, bad showing for Scott Summers. It's a good showing for the X-Men, though. I, Boy, howdy. I have never read this, guys. Until not? I was prepping for this episode. Adam, 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 no, Adam, Adam, I mean, Adam, Adam, Adam. Yeah. How old were you in 1993? I, I was 13. How did you not go to Pizza Hut and get these? Well, okay. So my Pizza Hut experience is a little, 
little bit before this. So like the moment when I was obsessed with Pizza Hut was they used to have Book It. Do you guys remember Book It? Oh, I know about Book It. Yeah. Okay. So they had the Book It pins. They had the things. And the one I was the most obsessed with Pizza Hut was the Land Before Time puppets. They had these little rubber molded Land Before Time hand puppets. And for some reason, that was like the rage in, in elementary middle school. So I guess by this point I was still buying comics at the local comic store, but I don't think I was going to pizza hut for my local comic store. I mean, look fair. <laughs> so somehow I missed this. Um, and I'm sad I did because these are really something special. Yeah, I was a wee baby in 1993 and we don't need to talk about that, but I definitely had the Magneto and storm and beast issue of this since as long as I can remember. Um, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. These comics are good, actually. Go on. These are good X-Men comics. There was a... Before you before Wikipedia existed, before paperbacks were a thing, uh, and you could catch up, uh, there would occasionally be books, like series, miniseries that they would put out, that would be designed to kind of give you everything you need to know. But instead of just being like an official handbook or just being like, uh, like here's key scenes from comics with commentary, like they've done a couple of those, uh, they would be stories that were constructed in such a way that it allowed you to get a grand tour, like a greatest hits of a particular character or team. Uh, DC famously did three of these. Uh, they did World of Krypton for Superman. They did uh, Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes, where the framing story was that you found out uh, R.J. Brand was a uh, Dirtlin. Uh, and they did what is still one of my all-time favorite comics, uh, Untold Legend of the Batman, which was a very formative comic for me, where the the hook of that book was that someone had broken into the Batcave and stolen Thomas Wayne's Batman costume and set it on fire. Ooh. And Batman was like, okay, I definitely have to find out who did this. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that, that gives you the opportunity for Batman to go like, okay, well, which one of my villains is it? Cause like, here's all the villains I have. And here's all the reasons they hate me. Here's, you know, who else knows that I'm Bruce Wayne? Well, here's the guy who trained me when I was a kid. Uh, you know, obviously Alfred knows, uh, with this X-Men book, it is a legitimately, I have read these recently. This is not just nostalgia talking, although it kind of is, but I've read these fairly recently. These are good comics to tell you what the X-Men were about in the 90s. And as you two know, the 90s are insanely complicated for the X-Men. Like, I, I'm glad you're getting into this, Chris, because it, you know, for, for readers who may be not used to like being fresh to the subject material. There is something kind of off-putting about these books in that anytime it mentions an object or a character, it has to define it. So it's like, okay, they're talking about Cerebro. So they have to tell you what Cerebro is. They're talking about the danger room. They have to tell you what danger room is. Yeah. They do do these little like bits about who each character is and what their, what their traits are. Um, and it does another thing that the animated series used to do. And it has a lot of little Easter egg things in the background. Here are some monitors with some other X characters. Here's a hologram of some of the other X villains that are not in this format issue series. So I can absolutely see where this could be uh, a pretty solid introduction for a kid who's there to buy a pizza and is now going to get sucked into this world because they're getting this primer over these four issues. Yeah. 
Because what do you, like what do you need to know about the X Men in nineteen eighty three? Like, what are the most important things to know about the X Men in nineteen ninety three? If you're going to become a fan, uh, number one, the the X- Marvel Collector's Edition X Men number one is about Rogan Gambit fighting mm-hmm. Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Those are the two biggest things for nineties X Men. It's it's the the unrequited love story. Uh, the 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 ship of Rogan Gambit that has hooked so many people over the years, and there's giant robots made of racism yep. that are trying to kill everyone. Uh, num- like, first of all, they don't get to Magneto till number three, which is hilarious because number two is about the Savage Land. <laughs> so the second thing you need to know about uh, the X Men, uh, Wolverine's a badass, and sometimes they go to a weird dinosaur world. Which is also something that if you're 10 years old, if you're 11 years old, if you're 13 years old, you're going to think is awesome. Then the fact that they cap it all off by being like, oh yeah, it must be, it must be arcade. In a, it must be arcade in inside a computer. Like, because it weirdly makes sense, except that it's not. The framing sequence is actually that it's all a trick. It's a training exercise. Mm-hmm. Because what is what's the most successful X Men comic of all time? Number one, number uh, one, yeah, Mutant Genesis, yeah. yeah, six million copies. How does it open? Training sequence, training sequence, so that you can see everybody's cool powers. Mm-hmm. Kids love training mm-hmm. sequences. Like new readers love training sequences. Writers love training sequences. We d- we opened X Men ninety two with a training sequence because you you see everybody's deal with no stakes. So you get to experience everybody's deal with zero stakes in this comic. Uh, they don't tell you that there's no stakes until the end, but once you've got that, you have the grounding. It's super easy to move from collector's edition X-Men number one or from number four mm-hmm. into X-Men number one into, you know, X-Men number 30, which was probably my next X-Men comic after this. Uh, the, the wedding of Cyclops and Jean. Because you know them all. You know what they do. You know how their world works. These comics are good, actually. I think two, and uh, especially the second issue, is actually pretty well done. Um, you know, as a standalone issue with Jubilee trying to fly the Blackbird and Sauron and Sabretooth, like, you know, comically tiptoeing onto it while no one's looking. Like, it, it's legitimately a fun silly issue um you know in terms of quality the art varies on these things from from page to page but chris your your overarching argument that this is like an amazing introduction especially to someone who may have never picked up an x-men comic is dead on and of course we're we're learning the the most important x-men lesson of all which is uh that professor x is a jerk and he's putting them through all of this just to test them (laughs) they don't hide that well right like even knowing mm-hmm. the twist at the end, he's very obviously silhouetted. Oh, you can see it's him at the end of issue number one. Yeah, you can see he's wearing the Cerebro helmet. Yeah, it's they're they're very good because again, the relationships like like the 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 appeal of the X Men since nine since number ninety four, since Giant Size number one, has always been the the mixture of action and soap opera. So the first issue is an action soap opera issue. This the second issue is uh, all about another very important relationship, which is Wolverine and Jubilee. Not a romantic relationship, but you know, oh hey, like here's your cool uncle, and he also has <laughs> knives for hands. Like that's the best. 
the the fantasies that you get in comic books i've always said like the batman is such a great fantasy not because his parents die but because his parents die and it's very sad but then he grows up and becomes batman and then he gets a new dad except he's his dad's boss so his his dad can't tell him to go to bed (laughs) it's brilliant it's brilliant i i just want to highlight a couple of things that stood out to me as i was reading these um a sentinel calls rogue gene trash, um, which I think is a little bit saucy for a sentinel. I thought that was funny. I think it's interesting that Bishop is expecting air traffic control to have some kind of control, <laughs> some kind of alert on a blackboard, a blackbird, like they're supposed to conform to uh, FAA standards or something. There's a, there's some really weird little touches like that throughout the book that are just very odd. Um but they also they're weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely weird. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, quality I think is maybe a little questionable here, but if you're a kid and you're looking to figure out what this world is, you could do worse. It accomplishes what it sets out to better than most comics do. And I think that's the important thing on it. It's supposed to be the, have you watched this cartoon? Well, you know, comic books are a thing. So go read this. Mm-hmm. And it works really well on that. I I have my one copy of these. Number three is beaten and battered and torn to shreds because as a kid, I wanted to read that. It was cool. They had fold out covers that were awesome. They had a lot of the iconic characters. It was what you want in a you know baseline X-Men thing. You knew what you were getting where if you, you know, heck, you pick up the last week's issue of X-Men Red, which is a very good comic. I wouldn't hand that to anyone and say this is what X-Men is because it's weird, it's different, it's not that platonic ideal of X-Men, and this is. Well, and I'm I'm glad you point, pointed that out because um, just recently I picked up, um, with a lot of hope, I picked up the Archie Digest um, that just came out. They've been doing the Archie Digest, and the fourth one was an X-Men one. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, this is a fantastic opportunity to do just what we're talking about here, right? Give people a window into what's going on with X-Men and I'm opening it. And what are the first two stories? They do two silver age stories. Then they start doing Jeff Parker, X-Men first class stories. And I'm thinking if those are the first four things in this book, and then I'm supposed to be transitioning over to what's going on in blue, gold and red, for instance, I'm not really getting that window. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I would be better served by a giant size X-Men reprint here, um, which is not included in the book. So I don't know. This has a lot of value, especially for its time period and, and how influential it probably was to a generation of kids. I mean, no one, no one should read Silver Age X-Men. <laughs> but that like they, starting with the Jeff Parker, like, like X-Men first class stuff, I thought, I think would be a very good idea. Cause if they were those the are right very good issues. comics. They were some weird, they were weird character pieces, not necessarily, Hey, this is what X-Men the character is. pieces were also fun though. The, the, the Jean and Scarlet witch hanging out issue. That one's good. Very that good. That one's very good. That wasn't in this yeah, like, though. <laughs> But but yeah, think about the other comics that existed at the time that were specifically meant for this massive 90s boom for kids who already liked the X-Men because they had been on TV uh, and, and what like Marvel was giving them at the time. 
because you couldn't really get a paperback, right? So you had to go, like, you either had to go get back issues or you could read, like, uh, X-Men the early years, right? Like, okay, well, here's, you know, this is where it starts, right? This is a reprint of X-Men number one. This is where I should jump in. Y'all know I love Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Y'all know y'all know I love Stanley and Jack Kirby together. Y'all know I love the X-Men. Those comics are not the best X-Men comics. No. From no. Very, like, like, the Vanisher sucks, guys. I'm sorry. Well, there's a reason that classic X-Men doesn't start with Silver Age. It starts yeah. with Giant Size, and that's purposeful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like, but but they, you know, classic X-Men was coming out in the 80s. Like, by, by the time 92, 93 rolls around, a lot of stores didn't even have back issues, because why would you? Because mm-hmm. you're always going to sell more of X-Men number one, or X-Force number one, or New Mutants 98, or anything from that era than you are of, like, keeping dollar books around. Right. Uh, so you look at what else was there to get in with. And I feel like every, every kid who watched the X-Men animated series and then went to pizza hut and got these comics, got more comics. Maybe they didn't stick around. Maybe they didn't get obsessed like I did, but I feel like these were the perfect transition from, Oh yeah. I like the X-Men and, and I know I should be reading comics. I'm 12. <laughs> that's that's what you do when you're 12. You read comics. Uh, here are my here are my choices. The the grocery store, the Piggly Wiggly down the street from from my mom's house. Uh, I could get Sonic, which starts in 92. Uh, I can get these these uh, Superman comics that are weird because they're like weirdly violent, like early 90s Superman comics. Uh, I can get these Batman comics that are also weirdly violent, or I can get these X-Men comics that at least look like the characters on TV. Because that's sidebar to the sidebar to the sidebar. That's the brilliance of the X-Men animated series, was that they looked like they looked in the comics of the time. They were doing stories that were foundational X-Men stories until they were suddenly doing stories that were happening in the comics at the same time. Yeah. Phalanx Covenant, right? They do Age of Apocalypse before it happens in comics, and they do Phalanx Covenant while it's happening in comics. And none of them are really close to what's happening in comics, but dang it, did they try. No, they're super weird. <sighs> but, you know, you can, if somebody asks you, if somebody asks you, hey, you know what happens in Dark Phoenix, right? The important thing is not necessarily that Nightcrawler is there. No. <laughs> the important thing is that Gene's right. there. Right. You know, so you can uh, you can roll with, with whatever comes out of the Phoenix saga, uh, even if Rogue and Gambit and Jubilee are there instead of Storm and, or, well, I guess Storm would have been there either way, but, you know, Colossus and Nightcrawler and Kitty mm-hmm. Pride. No. I think these comics are great. I think they're legitimately super fun. Then let's put them to the test on this list. What I don't think they are better at, and this is something that does about the same thing, but with Jim Lee art, is X-Men number one through three, Mutant Genesis, which is the other big 90s introduction to X-Men. Okay. (laughs) You're not wrong, except that you are wrong. (laughs) X-Men, 90, X-Men number one, that training sequence is beautiful. That Magneto in space with his shirt off. Mwah. The rest of that comic is very hard to read. That panel, if you ever, if anyone ever asks you like, hey, what's Chris Claremont? Like, like what's the most extreme 
version of Chris Claremont that has ever existed. Show them that Magneto. The two-page spread. Page, the yeah. two-page spread where <laughs> Magneto is in a, a halo of word balloons. Mm-hmm. Mutant Genesis got like three writers on it. It's beautiful. Like I, I have come around like, like a lot of things in comics. I loved it when I was 12, hated it when I was 20 and love it when I'm 30, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I think, I think this is weirdly very on par with these X-Men Pizza Hut books. I don't think it's going to be All Wounded right. Wolf. The, uh, the one shot where Wolverine. Yes, fights yes, yes. Why are we looking so high in the list? You're really looking at great. Wounded Wolf. Nah, Cause, nah, 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 nah. Cause they're great. No, this but we have to think about this objectively to a certain extent. Like, I mean, you serve, do, I don't. I'm serve, not going to be here next week. <laughs> yeah, they serve a certain purpose. But at the end of the day, like extremely questionable art, like random mentions of pizza for contractual obligations. Like these, I I don't know, man. Was that like, a contractor? Did Scott Lobdell really like puns? Because I can't tell. Here's here's my question. What's bad about pizza? Like, are you, are you going after pizza now? Because, look, I don't know if you've had it. It's great. <laughs> no, but I, I just, I'm looking at, let's say, like, our top 30. I can't put this in the top 30. This isn't you, better than... I'm in the top 30 and I'm telling you to put it in the top yeah. 30. Okay, then, then what you should do... You should put this right under X-Men 92, right under X-Men 92. Cause we had very like, like, because, uh, Alti did a bang up job yeah. with all the weird nonsense we asked her to draw. She's that amazing. She's I, absolutely I outstanding. Love her art. Um, when we got it, when we like got Alti is when we asked her like, Hey, what are your influences? Like what, what, what was the stuff you read growing up? Cause we obviously read like a bunch of nineties X-Men nonsense. And she was like, well, I really, when I was growing up, I really liked Gen 13 and Dragon Ball Z. And then we wrote the issue where Rogue fights Gladiator. That's a good issue. Which is, what if Gen 13 was Dragon Ball Z? That's a very good issue. All right. So if we put it at 31, Zach, that would put it right ahead of your uh, your baby, the Sinister as town arc from AVX. That has exploded. How comfortable towns. are you with it being and in that exploding slot? gambits. Yeah. Uh. Cannonball, cannonballs. So I definitely know that it's worse than number 29, What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires. That's oh. the rules, actually. I'm sorry, I swore. But that's the oh. rules. <laughs> I don't think we can put this above giant size, number one. I think that's a hard... If you had to... Okay, we do this on, we do this on Ajax all the time. If you had to sit down right now and read one of those, which one are you going to want to read? Which one are you going to have the most fun with? Be honest with yourself. Is it... Is it gonna be? Is it is it gonna be uh, Giant Size X Men number one with Sunfire in it, or is it gonna be this comic where Cyclops and Bishop go into cyberspace to fight in the Matrix? Adam, I'm feeling attacked. I need you to step in here. <laughs> I just want to go on the record that I'm completely comfortable with this being at our new 31. I, I am. I, I think that it has a lot of merit. It has the nostalgia factor. The art doesn't add up, but I don't know. I'm okay with it being Here's there. what I'm actually going to pitch. Here's what I'll pitch. Yeah. Because Chris is right. Giant size is... I don't... I've read it like 400 times. I'm good. It's very good. It's very I, good. I, I... I... Even though it's not my favorite comic, I don't think we can put this above X-Factor 87, 
the examinations issue. I think that's probably like people think that's the greatest comic of all time and they're wrong, but it's still not bad. I think that probably is better. You got to listen to your heart. Don't be like the proletarian. Don't let those other people brainwash you. <laughs> listen to your heart, Colossus. We're your friends. Me and Pizza Hut, we're your friends. The Casada art is better than the Pizza art, Pizza Hut art. There's like a uh, devil and an angel going uh, after me, but I, I, Zach, I think this has to be 33. You, you put it, I think this has to be put it 33. This will be do it. Number the new number 33 on our list, the Pizza Hut X Men. Now uh, you have realized my true talent, which is uh, being able to convincingly argue that objectively bad comics are good. <laughs> They are a lot of fun. They really I are. Love them. I've had so many people yell at me because Matt and I love Marvel two and one annual number seven so much. And it's so good. And people have like, people have been like, Hey, I bought this comic cause you said it was good. And it is trash. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're wrong. Sorry. That's awesome. You know, that was three stories up and uh, we, we ranked them. We may be regretting this in a week or two. But that'll be just fine. Uh, Till then, we have some Twitter questions for Chris that was sent in to us from the uh, the, the Xavier Files Twitter account. And they come from uh, some people. So from at Crackshot, Jordan D. White on Twitter, the guy who runs X-Men at this point in continuity. Yeah, the current editor at the X-Men office at Marvel. He's asking... If the X-Men fought the Sailor Scouts, who would win? Crossovers are banned. I don't know why he's asking me that. Crossovers are banned. He knows. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like an easy out on that answer. Also, I have no feelings on Sailor Moon, so I cannot provide any sort of insight. Well, it's very good. It's, it's you know, you know anime? heard of it. We're familiar. Yeah, it's the good one. Because <laughs> you see, the X-Men have tried to do anime things and manga things before, and it's literally never turned out good uh you say never but you're forgetting about the japanese intro to the x-men animated series which is dope it's turned out good one time we used it as our theme music one week uh let's see chad bowers asks have you seen junior's grades (laughs) damn it he got me he got me oh oh (laughs) oh so, have you? Uh, sit down, Waldo. I'm, I'm texting Chad right now. I'm sure sure he'll appreciate that. He did specifically remove you from the uh, from the at on the reply from this Twitter thread. It is that that is. I would say it's an in joke, but there's literally nothing more to it than that. All right. Uh. Robert Secundus wants to ask a crossover pod question. He says, given his faith, do you think Nightcrawler knows about the other time Daniel got thrown in the lion's den? Uh, I believe those stories are included. I I don't know for sure. This would be a good question for Benito, uh, who is my co-host on a podcast we do about the Bible where we don't rank anything, (laughs) but maybe we should start. Um, but I believe those stories are included in the Catholic Apocrypha, uh, which Nightcrawler what is is canonically Catholic. Like he was a canonic, he was canonically a priest. Right? I wasn't mm-hmm. a Catholic priest. So 
Was he not? No, because they switched. Do we do we know what denomination he was? It was like the universe. It wasn't the Universal Church of Life because that's the uh, that's the Adam Warlock thing. Uh, it was something. It was supposed to be Catholic, and then uh, you know you, you heard of Chuck Austin. He, he messed yeah. he messed that up pretty pretty good. Look, I I I have to say this every time because Chuck Austin got so much guff. Yes, not. A lot of it undeserved, yes. to be honest. He's doing great now. He's working on genuinely great stuff. I, I, I could not be happier that he has found a. And this sounds sarcastic. I swear it's not. I'm glad Chuck Austin is out there doing his thing, being done with comics and succeeding elsewhere. Yes. Genuinely, yes. Because it, because it, because it wasn't working out for him in comics, and 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 that's all. Yeah. But yeah, according to him, Nightcrawler wasn't actually a Catholic priest, and it gets very dumb. It gets very dumb in a 25-cent comic that no one should read. I think there, we got like a couple more. Uh, Chris at Strictly Worse. That's my name. That is your name. He asks, who are your favorite comic Chris's? Uh, I mean... I feel like the the obvious one for this podcast is uh, Cyclops's Deadbeat Dad. <laughs> yes, that's a good who one. was like, yeah, I got two kids, but I would rather hang out in outer space with a mustache and an earring and have sex with a skunk. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. Um, let's see. This Chris Powell, of course, is Darkhawk, mm-hmm. who is uh, currently in Infinity Countdown Darkhawk uh, by me and Chad Bowers and Gong Hyuk Lim, uh, who is an amazing artist. And he's, he's a, a big fave. Uh, let's see. Who are the others? I guess there's Chris chance, the human target. He's pretty cool. Uh, I can't think hmm. of it. I know Nathan Christopher Charles day spring is Connie sun summers. If that counts. Talk about, talk about cable soldier X. I, I am. I am talking about the mutant Messiah. You talking about you're talking about CAB one E? I'm out of nicknames for cable. Uh, I, I love him. I uh, love him. You talking about the link between the past and the future? The the cable that connects us the all. One and the same. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, I had another. Uh, does does Christoph von Doom count? Probably. That's Chris yeah, K. Why not? He's pretty good. Cool. Chris Chris Christopherson. He was in Blade. <laughs> he's pretty now we're good. Reaching. <laughs> Sunday morning coming down. That song's really good. Uh, last question we've got, yeah. and I think this is in everyone on this uh, particular episode's interest, comes from Super Sentai Bros. And they ask, Generation X, underrated X-Men team or most underrated X-Men team? <sighs> underrated X-Men team, obviously. For me as a reader, never quite what I wanted. You know? Again, I I like all those characters. I love Monet. Monet is great. Where it clicked for me, because I wasn't like Chad was a bigger Generation X fan than I was. So um l- bringing the Generation X kids in was his idea in, in X-Men 92. Uh as the as the kind of next generation of students. And then and that's what got us talking about, like, oh well, what if, you know if if ecstatics happens when ecstatics happens mm-hmm. then they're teenagers in the 90s right so that's why we brought those characters in um but where it clicked for me writing those characters 
was realizing that Monet is Veronica Lodge with Superman's powers. Ooh, that's a great. And she's that's the best premise. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best, the best possible character. And uh, I could have written the easiest thing in that book for me to write was Jubilee Monet stuff. Like I could have written. We, we really wanted to do an annual that would just focus on the kids. Like while the X-Men were off fighting strife or whatever, like it would just be what the kids do when the X-Men aren't around. And I, I just wanted to write uh, like a Jubilee Monet, like team up uh, antagonistic team up story. So fun. Um, but yeah, super underrated team. I, I love those characters. I love those suits too. Like, cause they're very, very nineties. Like that's what yep. superhero costumes look like in the nineties. <laughs> Like if you were going to, if you were going to draw a 90s superhero costume from memory, it would be the generation X costume. Absolutely. If you were going to say, since you don't think they're the most underrated, who would be the most underrated? The 92 X-Men. Are they underrated or are they the ones that everyone knows? (laughs) Uh, Look, I mean, I mean specifically our book. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Look. Look, uh, Generation X got more than 14 issues, so. Yes. So that I think uh, that I think wraps things up. Uh, Chris, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, uh, y'all, I have had a blast being here. This has been a super fun time. Thank you for letting me come on and, and make my awful jokes and <laughs> make you rate that Pizza Hut comic where I wanted it to be. <laughs> only for you you. but you know adam x is back and he's and things have never been deadlier so thank you so much for (laughs) thanks for being here that's great hey uh what are you what are you working on nowadays and where can people uh find your stuff if they want to you know see it uh you can find all of my stuff almost all of my stuff by going to the-isb.com that's my homepage, and it's got links there to everything i write a ton of stuff online uh for various outlets. I talked about writing for verge earlier. Uh, I primarily write for uh, looper these days, uh, in my, in my day-to-day, uh, internet writing, but comics wise, uh, infinity count on dark Hawk is coming out now. That's at your local comic book store. And it's really fun. Uh, if you have any interest in dark Hawk, uh, who's a great character, uh, what, like what if Spider-Man could Shazam into the Terminator? <laughs> That's him. He's great. I love him. Uh, that book's got Death's Head in it. We're going to do, we get to do uh, some super violent fights because nobody cares if it's alien blood. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, so yeah, uh, Infinity Countdown Darkhawk's out now. Obviously books like Deadpool Bad Blood are still available in comic book stores and bookstores and online. Uh, X-Men 92, uh, you have ranked it very highly on your list, which I really appreciate. Uh, Chad and I and Alti and, and Scott are all very, very proud of what we got to do with that book. And I think it's, I think it's super fun. And like, I, the only thing I wanted to do was a Dracula story. (laughs) So I'm glad we, I'm glad we did it. uh, As we, we danced like no one was watching on that one. We are huge fans of X-Men 92. So uh, as I said before, I hope you guys get another crack at it at some point. Uh, we would love that. Um, also, uh, Sword Quest came out from Dynamite, uh, which is a video game tie-in book, but it's not, I can almost guarantee it is not the kind of video game tie-in book you would expect. Uh, it's probably the thing that I am proudest of uh, as far as really turning out well. Um, and we did that with Scott Kowalczyk, who's amazing. Uh, Chad and I wrote it, obviously. Our buddy Josh uh, was the letterer on that one, Josh Kroc. 
uh, yeah, there's a ton of stuff. You can find it all by going to the-isb.com. I also do a bunch of podcasts. Uh, I, on War Rocket Ajax, we do this, but for every comic uh, with, with a list that has 754 entries on it right now. People seem to like those. We do other things as well. We have interviews and we talk about comics and pro wrestling and barbecue and all that <laughs> good stuff. Uh, and if you were wondering why I was asked about the book of Daniel, it's because I have a new podcast called Apocrypals, where uh, comic book writer Benito Serino and I read the Bible. <laughs> We do not rank it, but we do read. We are reading the entire Bible and all of the Apocrypha wow. that is extant. So that is a. I actually edit that show. I've been doing podcasts for nine years and I've never edited, and it sucks. <laughs> so editing is hard. So uh, give it a listen. You might like I'm busy it. guy, Chris. Uh, yeah, I never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Awesome. Uh, well, again, thanks for uh, being on the show this episode, Chris. If you guys liked what you heard, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. Uh, you can support the show. If you throw in two bucks, we will craft an entire episode around your suggestion. So, uh, you know, make that happen if you want. Or if you can't or you don't want to or whatever, that's fine, too. The show's, like, always going to be free. So just listen if you feel that way. Uh Everything involving the Xavier Files media empire and all of my related X-Men junk is at XavierFiles.com. That's where I have weekly question mark articles about uh, different X-Men characters, all your latest X-Men news. That's where this podcast is. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. You can also go over to Twitter.com and look at Xavier Files, and that's where I tweet about all this stuff. Hey, Adam, where can people find you? What, what, what you got going on these days? <laughs> guys you can always follow me on twitter at arthur stacy and uh i believe when this comes out the uh last page of the search for bish and jubes will have gone up on adamrec.tumblr.com a little cliffhanger for you before we get to the conclusion of this arc and um, i'm going to be offering zines of the search uh, for bish and jubes through the big cartel store um, they're just going to be black and white zines you can get them for a dollar um, so I'll have that link coming up pretty soon. So take a look uh, on on the website for that or my Twitter account. Yeah. By the way, guys, I've seen that last page. Even if you've not read a single damn page of Bish and Jubes, which is ridiculous. Make sure you check out this last page. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. It's amazing. I, I literally started clapping when I opened up that email. Ooh, feeling good about it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, yeah. One last time, Chris, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a uh, super fun. Awesome. Till next time, guys, this has been battle of the atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!